Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 31st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, by whose gift your faithful offer you right and praiseworthy service, grant, we pray, that we may hasten without stumbling to receive the things you have promised. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, If you fear the Lord your God all the days of your life, and if you keep all his laws and commandments which I lay on you, you will have a long life, you and your son and your grandson. Listen then, Israel. Keep and observe what will make you prosper and give you great increase. As the Lord God of your fathers have promised you, giving you a land where milk and honey flow. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Let these words I urge on you today be written on your heart. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is the rock where I take refuge, my shield, my mighty help, my stronghold. The Lord is worthy of all praise. When I call, I am saved from my foes. I love you, Lord, my strength. Long life to the Lord, my rock. Praise be the God who saves me. He has given great victories to his king and shown his love for his anointed. I love you, Lord, my strength. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. There used to be a great number of priests under the former covenant because death put an end to each one of them. But this one, because he remains forever, can never lose his priesthood. It follows, then, that his power to save is utterly certain, since he is living forever to intercede for all who come to God through him. To suit us, the ideal priest would have to be holy, innocent, and uncontaminated, beyond the influence of sinners, and raised up above the heavens. One who would not need to offer sacrifices every day, as the other high priests do for their own sins, and then for those of the people, because he has done this once and for all by offering himself. The law appoints high priests who are men subject to weakness. But the promise on oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son who was made perfect forever. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. All who love me will keep my words, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. 
One of the scribes came up to Jesus and put a question to him. Which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, This is the first. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the one Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You must love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well spoken, Master, what you have said is true, that he is one and there is no other, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. This is far more important than any holocaust or sacrifice. Jesus, seeing how wisely he had spoken, said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to question him any more. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the first reading which we've heard today is one of the most central texts to Judaism. It's called the Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I think in some ways it's difficult for us Christians to fully appreciate just how precious this prayer is, this pledge of allegiance to God. From the time of Moses onwards, Jews have recited the Shema at morning and at night. And it was the duty of parents to teach it to their children. And the Shema was to be on a person's lips as the last thing which they said before a pious Jew died. And when a Jewish person prays, they do so with a small box tied to their foreheads and arms. And inside these little boxes are what are called tefillin, or phylacteries. Uh, And the Shema would be written on a small scroll inside this box. And in this way, the Shema would always remain close to their minds and their hearts. Even today, outside of Jewish houses on the doorpost, you'll see what's called the mezuzah, a small case containing a scroll of the Shema. On entering or exiting the house, it's common to touch the mezuzah as a reminder of God's covenant with Israel. And having the Shema nailed to the doorpost was a sign that the family lived under the protection of God's holy presence. So the Shema Israel, it's what a Jew lives and breathes. I suppose an analogy we might have is the Our Father. Although I suspect most Christians aren't as attached to the Our Father as Jews are to the Shema. I suspect many Catholics might even go a number of days without reciting the prayer that Jesus taught us. But a pious Jew would find that unthinkable, not to have the Shema always close to mind, heart and lips. You know, during the Second World War in Europe, there were thousands of Jewish children who'd been in hiding during the Holocaust. uh, And they were staying with non-Jewish families. And so a man named Rabbi Eliezer Silva was sent to Europe to help find these children who were in hiding. Many of whom in the meantime had become orphans because of the Nazis. And especially the younger children had even forgotten that they were Jewish. So the rabbi would go to large gatherings of children and proclaim the Shema Israel, And he'd say it loudly and look for the reaction of the kids. 
he would be able to spot the Jewish children because they would have tears in their eyes, remembering something their mothers prayed at morning and at night. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. It's the fundamental statement of the Israelite faith. And having learned it on the lap of the Virgin Mary, it was on the lips of our Lord Jesus. This foundational statement of faith becomes central for us Christians too. Because right at this critical moment in the Gospels, Jesus takes the Shema and declares it as the centre of our lives. One of the scribes comes up to Jesus and at last, poses a real question to him. He doesn't seem to be too interested in trapping Jesus by setting up impossible alternatives, but he asks a simple, yet admittedly controversial question. What's the first of all the commandments? It sounds odd, but it wasn't quite so clear to the Jews of Jesus' time which was the first of all the commandments. There were some experts of the law who said that the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy was the first of all the commandments because it was the oldest there were others who said that the command of circumcision as the sign of the covenant was the first commandments. Others pointed to the sacrifices or burnt offerings which God commanded in the Torah. But when this question is posed to Jesus as an expert in the law, his response is the Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so the essential statement of the Old Testament is taken up and represented by Christ in the New. So, what does the Shema mean? Now, it could be the subject of tens of homilies as we slowly parse the deep elements of this simple prayer. But let me focus on two little details. God is one and God is Lord. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. You know, so often in the scriptures, God is referred to as Lord, in Hebrew, Adonai. But what it's getting at most fundamentally is that God is not some vague spiritual energy, as many New Age religions would assert. He's not passive like the Force in Star Wars, waiting to be used. God isn't something that you can tap into whenever you feel like it. He's not a secret waiting to be discovered. No, he's Lord. God is the protagonist. He's the one who is active. We don't tap into him. No, he taps into us. He reveals himself to us. He leads us and guides us. He speaks to us. So what's our fundamental attitude towards him then? Ha <laughs> It's the first word of Shema. Listen, Israel. Listen to the Lord because he's not a vague force. He's not a divine magnetic field that we need to plug into. No, he's our Lord. He's personal. And he loves us. Another common conception of God is to think of him as a kind of watchmaker. He created the world, he wound up the spring, set the mechanism, and then walked away. And sometimes we might be tempted to think along these lines that God is a distant observer, watching us ant-like humans from an immense distance, leaving us to sort everything out ourselves. God set the laws of nature and of morality, and now we're on our own trying to make something of it. This isn't the God of the Shema. It's not the God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He's our Lord. He's our God. And he claims his place as Lord of our lives by calling us to an intimate communion with him and by speaking to us his divine will so that we may listen and follow. The God of the Shema is not seated on a distant throne waiting for the watch spring to finish unwinding. No, he's deeply involved in history, even to the point of taking human flesh and living among us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. If God's a mere impersonal force, then my interest in him is no demand. It's only a hobby or a passing interest. Might be useful. Because a cosmic force makes no demands on me, nor does a cosmic force really care about me. And if God's the distant watchmaker who is equally unconcerned, then by the same token, I can ignore him too. But this is not our God. This is not the God of the Shema. He is Lord. He's our commander, our ruler. God is intimately involved in our lives as our shepherd, leading us through life, and yes, making demands upon us. He's interested in our lives, our welfare, our flourishing. So, listen, Israel, the Lord our God is Lord. But we hear as well that the Lord our God is one. At first glance, it sort of seems like a numerical detail. A bit of an optional extra. But in the midst of all the countless gods of the Greeks and the Romans and the other neighbouring tribes, Israel affirms that their God is one. For the Israelites, God alone is Lord. And this is exactly the teaching of Jesus Christ. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. No other person or institution or thing on earth can claim to be absolute because God is one and he is Lord. No country, no queen, no prime minister, no governor, no philosophy, no culture is absolute. Only God. Now, this isn't just some abstract theological factoid. You know, God happens to be one instead of many. No, this is something that shapes our entire existence. Because if God is one, if he is the only absolute, then nothing can come before him. Nothing can come ahead of him. If he is Lord alone, then we should love him. He must be the one that we love above all things. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. Therefore, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. To love God first, and then anything else that we love, we love because of him. Now, it can be a very abstract concept to say, well, just love God. How do we love God? How do we know we love God? Is it simply a matter of feeling affection for him? Having warm and fuzzy feelings about him? Well, no, not exactly. We love God in the measure that we attend to him. 
in the measure that we listen to him. It's the first commandment. Listen, Israel. Our love for God is expressed in the simple way that we accept him as Lord. Hearing God's word and applying it to our lives, discerning his will and following the Good Shepherd, praying regularly, praising and adoring him, thanking him for his countless blessings, and seeking forgiveness when we fail. In short, we love God by showing him the full measure of our devotion with our hearts, souls, and our strength. It's clearly an intangible thing to know whether we love God. But we can start by asking if he's truly our one Lord. St. Teresa of Avila gave us this advice. She said, We cannot know whether or not we love God, although there are strong indications for recognising that we do love him. But we can know whether we love our neighbour. The more advanced you are, in loving your neighbour, the more advanced you are in loving God. To repay us for our love of neighbour, says Teresa of Avila, he will, in a thousand ways, increase the love we have for him. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.